Hold on to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Park. really no reason for the dramatic piano music other than I like it. Welcome to the show, folks. Just taking it easy on a Monday. But the song's called Bobby Joe, for those of you who want to find it on YouTube. share something I, I wrote a while ago. It's a little over the top, but it gets to the point of the battles we have, politically speaking, the culture wars we have. I mean, the fight for your life every day, making your life better, it all begins upstairs in the mind. Oh, and by the way, Troy is here on the Joey Clark Radio Hours. He is usually on Monday. Let's get into it. Let's. Isn't this good, though? Yeah, it's relaxing. Yeah, very relaxing. It's just his royal badness, noodling. Oh, that's pee? Yeah. Oh, wow. Just noodling on the thing, having fun with it. It's always the best stuff. The guy in his own element, enjoying himself. Yeah. But I wrote this, oh, it had to be over two years ago now. You know, I haven't actually sat down and written an article in two years. Wow. And somebody asked me, well, why? Because I had actually started to make money with it a little bit. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm kind of pissed at myself for stopping. I was honest. Brutal truth. I became a little disgusted with myself and my motivations and the whole political process in general. So it's almost like it muted me, struck me mute in terms of obviously not talking. But uh, writing, in a weird way, and I'll pick it up, I suppose, at some point. But how do you not get burned out? I mean, it's it's right. exhausting. That's what it felt like. I was burned out. Sorry, it sounded like we were in a wind tunnel there for a second. So, say you thought you're like Loki of Asgard. And say you thought the human race could not be trusted with their freedom. Or you're like Hydra. They thought that too. Just sticking to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So did Iron Man at one point. Right, exactly. But say you, you can't, they can't be trusted. The American people can't be trusted with their freedom. So what do you do? How do you pull this off? How would you subjugate people who are proud, at least nominally, of their liberty? 
If you tried to do it by sheer force, you would most likely be unsuccessful. Once the people have tasted liberty, they tend to be willing to die to keep it. That is, if they do not kill you first. Resistance to your overt suppressions would be spontaneous and fluid. It would be like trying to stop a river with your bare hands. Every single stamp of your boot would create multitudes of martyrs and scores of new enemies devoted to ending your tyrannical aspirations. Even if you somehow found your victory through brute force, your legitimacy would hang by a thread. Might makes right is not only a dead letter among thinking men, but it's an invidious invitation to imitators, imposters alike, ready to supplant your rule and take your throne. Not even tyrants wish to sleep with one eye open night after night. Even then, even tyrants wish to dream in peace once in a while. But what if instead of, you know, violence, just kill them all? What if you were able to put the people themselves to sleep? Hypnotize them in a way. What if you were able to trick a free people into deceiving themselves? What if in the name of freedom you could convince people to forsake their freedom? What if you could nudge them into a suicide pact in the hope of avoiding national suicide? To do so, you would need to confuse people into thinking their liberty was merely a matter of sharing in the promises of power. Say, convince them their right to vote and dictate the lives of others is more important than their individual right to think, speak, and act freely. And then watch their lust for this power, at least their share in it, make them regard liberty with jealousy and fear, at least the liberty of others. We would also need to suggest liberty is just another good in the marketplace of ideas rather than the cornerstone of a just society. You could claim liberty should be quote-unquote balanced or even sacrificed for the sake of security, wealth, health, equality, or even national greatness. You know, it's whatever. You could do this until the people themselves start singing the same chorus that all the solution to all the world's ills have a price tag marked with our freedom. Now, one of the ways that this has been explored is in the great novel uh, by George Orwell, 1984. And he comes up with a word that is now common in American language, I would imagine, but I think all the English-speaking world, uh, doublethink. Double speak, news speak, they all kind of tie together. Now, I got on this topic because you, Troy, sent me an interesting Twitter feed almost defending the idea of double think. Yeah. Now, let's get into that before we keep going with what Orwell had to say about double think. You want the definition from this? I want, I want to hear what that guy has to say because he's got it. He's got it right, but he's also got it wrong. This this fella, his name is George Mack. At George Mack is his Twitter feed. There's an underscore in between George and Mack. He defines doublethink as the act of simultaneously accepting two mutually contradictory benefits beliefs. Excuse me, yes. as correct. And then he says, in other words, being a hypocrite can be a superpower. Hmm. 
See, that's that's interesting. But I would put doublethink as different than hypocrisy. Right. I think he's just sort of breaking that down to where it's easily explained. He goes on to say, one, we're told by society that idiots think in black or white, in parentheses, or in the parenthetical. This is partially true. <laughs> two, we're told that smart people think in shades of gray. Then he says, doublethink is the ability to think in black and white at the same time. The shades of gray are often where smart people go to die. That's uh, a disagree, but whatever. Fair enough. He says, Einstein, Jobs, Bezos, Musk, Thiel, Kanye, <laughs> etc. all paradoxically exist with two opposing personality traits. One, they are very disagreeable. And two, very open to new ideas. Therefore, they have strong opinions, but are weakly held. That sounds like me. I, be, I call myself a stable genius, a very stable genius on purpose. It's interesting that you say that, Donald, because doublethink is anti-fragile. <laughs> you get the upside of both stubbornness and humility. At least that's what this gentleman goes on to say. And that's interesting. He's, I think he's right in the basic definition. Like, the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the earth is flat and the earth is round. They're both true. When they need to be. And that's the thing. Uh, it's what Oral gets into and why he brings up doublethink is it is all it's tied inherently to the idea of serving the party or serving the cause or serving power that that's the where it comes from and where and why it's there that the party in 1984 realizes much like I was writing I opened up the show with you can't do it with just brute force no. and also you need to leave room for not just the people you're controlling, but say you're all on the same side and you're running the government, some totalitarian government in the future. You would need to allow some room to breathe for members of the ruling class and party to where they could say, what's the exact quote from Orwell? If one is to rule... This is directly from 1984. If one is to rule and to continue ruling, one must must be able to dislocate the sense of reality. For the secret of rulership is to combine a belief in one's own infallibility with the power to learn from past mistakes. You know when I read that, that line, it reminded me of what we were taught in Catholic school. <laughs> Catholic doctrine is infallible, but, you know, it's not fully correct. It, there's it, that's, the software updates from time to time. They, right. You know, there's, uh, what is it, the uh, the TOS, the Terms of Service? It's interesting, though, how that is a form of doublethink right there in the, I think, the governing structure of the faith religion we were raised in. I don't think it says much about the actual theology and belief in God, but as far as what the church says is correct, yet we can update it, it's infallible. But sometimes we get it wrong and we're free to correct it. Man, that no, those two things don't... You're either infallible or you're, you're wrong on occasion. Yeah, it's a, for, that was a major point of contention for me. Because it was like, well, if you just admitted that you were wrong, congratulations, you admitted that you were wrong and yeah. you were receptive to it. But at the same time, there exists over a space of time where you were incorrect for more than 
several days, oftentimes centuries, or at least decades, and now you want to change it, what? Right. But it makes sense. It, it Something needs to be in place for the church to be able to update itself, right? So, too, does something like that need to be in place in politics? Not necessarily man, because it, man outside of a power structure is ultimately free. Ultimately. I mean, and by the way, that doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. Like, I, this is one thing that's happened, and it's why I opened up the show this with what I wrote two years ago is that I keep seeing this pop up, and I think it's actually where the rubber meets the road, where I disagree with a lot of different people, whether it's conservatives who want to use a little more government to enforce uh, order in society, or it's people on the left who want to get rid of things like inequality, wealth inequality, or whatnot. I'm actually all on board with the idea of equality of rights and liberties and equality before the law. Absolutely. Sure. That's about it. I'm not even, this is where I'm weird and radical. I got in this conversation with Jonathan the other night. That's where you're weird. And oh, radical. yeah, just talking to him is, is odd. But no, you hear the, some people proffer this idea of equality of outcome. That if it, there aren't, aren't equal outcomes, then something must be wrong with the system. It must be biased in some way, which is, I think, nonsense. But then the one that apparently everybody agrees on is equality of opportunity. Yeah, And I'm like, I don't think that works, actually. What I'm for is abundance, superabundance okay. of opportunity. That is interesting. Because, and even if you take like John Rawls' veil of ignorance, the simple idea, folks who don't know it, is imagine you're trying to set up a just and good society, and you're behind a veil of ignorance. So you don't know whether or not, if you're in that society, you're rich or have some status that gives you a lot more power and privilege, or if you're the poorest of the poor, and maybe you're a certain race or a certain type of religious belief that leaves you suspect and marginal in that society. Behind the veil of ignorance, you don't know what you are. You might be frail and have all sorts of medical disabilities or whatnot. But so the idea of that veil of ignorance is to say, okay, not knowing where I'm going to end up, in the class or the hierarchy of this society, how would I want to set up the society? And I would still say that equality of opportunity doesn't quite, I don't think it's possible because there are too many factors. But I think abundance of opportunity, if not superabundance of opportunity, is quite possible. Because one thing you hear, and I've heard this from people like Charles Murray on the right, who, you know, he got. He's been really lambasted for writing one chapter in a book called Race and IQ, which actually his reasons for doing it are not what you might think. And so people have taken his work and done some nasty things with it. I won't deny that. But Charles Murray is a proponent of universal basic income. As a replacement for our current welfare systems, he thinks it would be cheaper, but also would get directly to the people who need a hand up for all sorts of reasons. He says people... IQ, there's an IQ distribution, and our society is set up for people who have high IQs. Usually people who have high IQs do very well in our current society. So say if you're born with a low IQ or, say, an average IQ, how can we give you a little bit of a, a leg up in that situation? So he thinks, well, I think the UBI would help. You hear Andrew Yang, right now a Democratic candidate for president. He's proposing 
universal basic income. So imagine we scrap the current welfare system. We're giving people two grand, three grand a month. I think even then, though, everybody's getting it. Equal amount of money a month. You still don't have a quality of opportunity. It levels it somewhat. There's a leveling effect. But there are so many factors that go into what your opportunities will be, whether it's who you know, what you do with, like, with certain opportunities, that the, I like the idea of abundance of opportunity. But let's just keep creating more and more opportunities for more and more people, as many as we possibly can. It, that's actually what John Rawls gets to. He isn't as hung up on inequality as I think a lot of people, like, say, Bernie Sanders is today. John Rawls is more like, all right, if we want people to be doctors and lawyers and people like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, great entrepreneurs and innovators, then if it means those people make more money and make a lot more money, so be it as long as the people at the bottom of the ladder are also rising at the same time. So there's not much of an issue there, is that if everybody's rising, the inequality spread isn't that big of a deal unless it gets way too tilted. And I think that's when I bring in ideas of like power and privilege, especially in the political sense. Yeah. But it gets us back to this idea of double thing. And that's one thing I see that happens on the, especially the left is everybody's equal, yet some people have so much less and are not as privileged as you, so we got to help them. Huh? Now, of course, the answer, if I'm being charitable, is there are different types of equality, and I know that. But it's, it almost ends up being like, we want to get rid of hierarchies. Well, how? Well, by s- setting up a new hierarchy. There's actually a quote. I'll have to grab it from... <laughs> From the uh, the Wikipedia page on DoubleThink, there's an actual quote from Stalin that Orwell based his DoubleThink concept off of, where Stalin goes into, our ultimate goal is the disillusionment of the state, which requires us to have the dictatorship that we currently have. And, the, and Stalin literally says, though some might find this contradictory, it is the Marxist way. By having this dictatorship, we are slowly laying the groundwork for the disillusionment of the state. And what? And it, I, it shows up in a lot of our thinking. I, I think I, I've been victim to it with the, the libertarian stuff. It's like, okay, we're going to have complete and utter freedom for everybody, but what to what degree? Like, I think states can pop up out of... Uh, it by organic means. You know, ty- tyrannies can pop out of even a completely, a society with no official state, just property rights, just property rules all the way around. I have a feeling states would pop up out of that sort of situation. So let's get back to the actual source of this. Well, you want to say something? Yeah. What do, what do all of these things have in common mm. in DoubleThink or in any power structure, what do they all have in common? They all have one thing in common. Consistency of outcome. Mm. So whether you're a state that's trying to topple another state, i.e. Russia and the United States, 
and their little info game that they played. You know, their we'll call it cyber warfare, even though they weren't necessarily hacking anything. They were they're, they're, propaganda. Their social engineering. Yeah. Right. If you can get consistency of outcome from certain pockets of individuals, because we all know that strength in numbers is important. But yeah. The easiest way to the easiest way to topple strength in numbers is to have consistency of outcome. Because if you can predetermine an outcome, you can then manipulate its results. You'll see that with social engineering. You will see that in identity politics. You see that in new hierarchical structures that rise up out of old hierarchical structures. Like, we need to tear this down. Here's my idea to build a new one. Consistency of outcome is the exact... It's it's the one thing it'll have in common right. with the previous hierarchy because with consistency of outcome the people at the top of the power structures can control right there's always some sort of absolute that should not be questioned it it seems like you've been speaking from the in the point of view of man or a man mm-hmm. that exists with all the inherent freedoms that come with being a a person in life. But that's so easily controlled if you can get consistency of outcome. Right. You it, box that person in. Box them into an identity. Have them in a tribe. Have them come from a place where they can only defend from a certain list of defenses. Mm-hmm. A set of defenses, if you will. Well, that makes sense. That yeah. person is easy to overcome. That is why these politicians and their double think, it seems so hypocritical to us like mitch mcconnell Mm -hmm. what he did when he was holding up the democrats when obama was in office and now he's complaining about them doing the exact same thing right it's like and then i'm sure we could go find a democrat who's done the exact same thing too and like now yeah it's it's like you're you're, listen little turtle man you're a hypocrite okay (laughs) and and frankly it's disgusting and i hope that you're ashamed of yourself because i'm ashamed for you and i'm ashamed for all the other people that are hypocrites here's the thing though they're getting what they want right even when they aren't getting the outcome that they want because the predetermined or that it's not predetermined but the, the consistency of outcome that's happening in these power structures still lets them stay at the top yep no matter i mean even when they're weathering say just focusing on mitch mcconnell the whole tea party rise like oh yeah we'll be more sensitive to the debt and the deficit and blah 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 blah, blah, blah. i am not a turkey i have a chin <laughs> How dare you call me a jive turkey, sir? No, there is a, a consistency to no matter who we vote for. Yeah, it, there seems to be this this box, like you were just saying, that we're kept in. Now you got like Hillary on TV saying China, if you're listening, or Russia, if you're listening, she's doing. It's like you're a child. <laughs> you're like seven, even though you're seventy-ish. Well, and by the way, in terms of news, folks, I'm now just waiting for Robert Mueller. May fifteenth, he's going to be in front of the House Judici- Judiciary Committee. You know, the place where the Attorney General didn't show up. And somehow the response is by at least Representative Cohen to bring a bucket of KFC. Wait, you're calling Barr a chicken? All right, by eating chicken? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Congress <laughs> probably has a better cafeteria. Probably. No, what it's I about said. about sending a message. And I don't now. know how much you know about Alabama's political history, but. I do know that we have the longest 
constitution? Yeah, oh, this our constitution's unreal. I mean, at the national level, we used to have a senator named Hal Heflin. And Hal Heflin, I'm sure, is either looking down from heaven or spinning in his grave going, we could have, we, we could have, we could have had fried chicken in the chamber. <laughs> like he, you, if you go back and watch with the Clarence Thomas hearing with, uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Who accused him of, of sexual assault and harassment? Oh my goodness! I, I'm completely drawing a blank. When he was when he was being appointed, nominated for the Supreme Court, and yeah. he was accused Anita Hill. Yeah, when Anita Hill was up there, watch Hal Heflin ask her questions. He plays, and I'm not calling him this because he was a very smart man to be a senator for that long. But he plays the dumb Southerner so well. Uh, Miss Hill, uh, holding his glasses up, reading it up. Um, if you, uh, you said Mr. Thomas did what with a can of, uh, of Coke? What did he do? Uh, Miss Hill, like, he's playing the role so well. Anyway, I want to get back to the man who started this term. Uh, I think if you have not actually sat down and read 1984... If you want something a little bit briefer and easier, Animal Farm, remarkable book. The, the, There's, uh, read the his amount essays. of parallels that you see in today's world, it, it'll, if it doesn't make you scratch your head, it'll make you scratch something else. The parallels are amazing, but they're, they're showing up in unexpected ways. Because the model of 1984 is a central totalitarian power with one party controlling all communication, changing and erasing history, changing the language itself. Consistency of outcome. Right. And the consistency of outcome they're looking for is the party remains in power and is never questioned. The the angst and the resentment and the jealousy and fear of the people is never turned back on the party. It's either turned at some foreign power or it's turned, they turn the people against themselves. And they're constantly meeting and going for that consistency outcome, in this case, power. Today, though, it's not quite like that, though it, the parallels are there. I've also written about that. Yeah, I think the thing was, is I really just shot my shot about two years ago when I saw Trump was elected. And I'm like, this is what's going to happen. And this is the parallel. And this is what's going to happen. I'm like, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good for now. I'm not going to do the little daily tit for tat sort of thing. Like, I've already painted in broad brushstrokes. I'll fill them in later. I need to take a break. This is disgusting me. Anyway. I want to quote from 1984. This is what George Orwell has to say about Doublethink. And it starts with where our Twitter poster started. Quote, To know and not to know. To be conscious of complete truthfulness while telling carefully constructed lies. To hold simultaneously two opinions which cancel out, knowing them to be contradictory and believing in both of them. To use logic against logic. To repudiate morality while laying claim to it. To believe that democracy was impossible and that the party was the guardian of democracy. Man. Hello, China. Hello, President Xi. Good Lord. That and Hello, Putin. Hi. How you doing? Democracy is impossible, but they're the guardians of it. Well, hello, Democrats and Republicans. Hey. Yeah. Uh, how you guys doing? Because if you actually, I don't, I think 
pure democracy is nonsense. It's volatile. It, I think it theoretically kills the thing it loves, liberty, all the time. I mean, I, it's an interesting fact in history that it, you can literally vote yourself out of a democracy. Like, I think, like, Hitler was elected chancellor or something. So, you know, it's very volatile. <laughs> Here's the keys to the kingdom. We don't want it. <laughs> Take it back. Anyway, back to Orwell. To forget whatever it was, nece- it was necessary to forget, then to draw it back into memory again at the moment when it was needed, and then promptly to forget it again, and above all, to apply the same process to the process itself. That was the ultimate subtlety. Consciously to induce unconsciousness, and then once again to become unconscious of the act of hypnosis you had just performed. Now, that sentence, folks, I fancy myself a smart young man. I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while. Yeah, that's some, that's some oatmeal right there. Even to understand the word doublethink involved the use of doublethink. This is directly from Orwell. He goes on, The power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. To tell deliberate lies while genuinely believing in them. To forget any fact that has become inconvenient. And then when it becomes necessary again, to draw it back from oblivion for just as long as it is needed. To deny the existence of objective reality and all the while to take account of the reality which one denies. All of this is indispensably necessary for what? Consistency of outcome. Yes. Even in using the word doublethink, it is necessary to exercise doublethink. For by using the word, one admits that one is tampering with reality. By a fresh act of doublethink, one erases this knowledge. And so, on, on, indefinitely. With the lie, always one leap ahead of the truth. Can I, I'm, I'd like to make a stretch here. Mm-hmm. A stretch of, of words. What is the abuse of doublethink? What would we call that? I would pose that we would call that gaslighting. The people that abuse doublethink. I think it's an umbrella. Gaslighting. I think it's an umbrella term. Gaslighting is one of the things you could do under that banner that's wrong. I think. I th- and cognitive dissonance exists outside of doublethink. Yes, as it if, does. As, as if it's an effect of doublethink relative to the hierarchy or the power structure that exists. If, if a politician is speaking in doublethink and its quote-unquote subjects have cognitive dissonance thrust upon them with their hypocrisy, they exist outside of each other, but in relation to one another. Well, and they do this all the time. It's called a double bind, where it's like, yeah, I know you don't like me. But if you get rid of me, then you're going to have to go and support somebody you really don't like worse than me. So, like, you're, you're just stuck. You do, the, you do that with Putin. Every time I talk about getting rid of Putin, you're like, but there are other crazy Russians, Troy. Right. And no, and I, I will admit my own, but this is, I think, real, an actual cognitive dissonance. Because I'm not looking for an outcome with Putin. Or I guess my outcome is I would want us, I actually heard of all people, Eddie Izzard. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast recently. I think he's running for... Is he... uh, Parliament. Parliament. Yeah, he's running for Parliament in Britain. And he said... They're like, well, what are you running for? He's like, well, I could go into all the detailed crap the English are arguing over right now. But he said, I wanted to lay out a a genuine vision. And his hope is that right now, this is either going to be the last century where we destroy everything and go back to the Dark Ages... 
or it will be the first century of a brand new beginning global community. Now, I don't know if Eddie Izzard means like the UN or multinational corporations and governments working together, but the vision in general is that we're going to have to overcome the fact that everybody's getting rich, governments that really don't agree with each other are becoming more and more powerful. And how do we get past that without massive war? And again, going back to the dark ages to where, well, generally we're now able to talk more freely and understand one another and find prosperity for everybody. And hopefully some sense of community and genuine freedom, which I think can crop up in all sorts of different ways. So I actually thought that vision was pretty good. And so that's, I think, my ultimate goal as well. How do we get through the fact that Russia is essentially run by an autocrat who is holding his country together through a mix of a cult of personality and some just real politic, like control the oligarchs and energy resources. Because uh, any nation run by a cult of personality is very fragile in its structure. Very fragile. Uh, and so... Yeah, you need to have a lot of fingers in a lot of pots. Mm. That's not the saying, is it? No. What's the saying? Pies? Yeah. Is it pies? Hands and pies? Something. You you need to be spread, but not spread thin. Right. In order to make... Because you see in Africa a lot, these dictatorships pop up, and they're, they're a flash in the pan. The cult of personality doesn't last because someone else comes along and they're like, I can do that better. Right. And it's on and on and on and on. So I think the ultimate hope, hope I'm going towards is like, just essentially worldwide peace and prosperity. Not in a top-down plan, just that general idea, how do we slowly work towards there? And it might mean doing things that aren't the most revolutionary or aren't always, like, pushing towards war, but, you know, we'll eventually get you there. It's the long game instead of, you know, trying to shoot your shot in, say, a decade. How do we, how do we shake up the discomfort that comes with inconsistency of outcome? Mm, exactly. You know, you mentioned the UN. Maybe, I mean, the League of Nations failed. Why can't the UN fail? Right. Have we made it too big to fail, Joey? <laughs> Seriously. Is NATO too big to fail? I don't think so. But I think there are a lot of people who would say so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's worn out. It's, it needs to reconstitute itself if it's going to continue to exist. Like, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. Russia exists, and Russia's a threat, but it's not the same thing as the Soviet Union. Nowhere near the same thing as the Soviet Union. <laughs> Unless you live in ex-Soviet Union states. Well. And then it's like, well, there's sort of a, there's a bit of a, there's a sort of Damocles. Well, and then there's also the argument that providing that security guarantee for so long uh, is what's actually kept the peace in Europe. It's not the central bureaucracy in Brussels for the European Union. It's the fact that, no, we've handled pretty much all of your military protection and spending. We, the United States, is what I mean. And how don't you dare fight each other again? We don't want to come over here again. Yeah. I think that's more what's kept the peace in Europe. But here, we got to hit this break real quick. We'll come back. We've got some more to talk about. Tie in these parallels we're seeing. All this. If we were reading about this double think and double speak, and you were thinking about how modern politics is prosecuted, you're correct. 
That's it, that is is that is definitely how it's prosecuted by Democrats and Republicans, by everybody, politicians and their followers. I don't think it's just the politicians we condemn. It's also you got to look at the people and go, hey, 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 you're being led by the nose here, buddy. Before we go to break, can I just say that sometimes I am very critical of the conservative party. Yeah. And it's because I think we're better than that. Right. I call right. the I'll call the left what the left is, but I, when I'm critical of the conservative party, it's because I expect better from the people in charge. Well, how dare you? You're supposed to play the game. Always the party is always right. Well, if I'm double think, Troy, double think. If I'm to want to be a part of something, I should therefore insist that it betters itself. I, fair enough. I think that's eminently fair, but. We have to this break, and before we do, I want to tell folks about my good friend. I'm going to go eat tacos with him on Saturday. I mean, there's fish thing, tacos? thing called Taco Libre. I'm sure they'll have some fish tacos, some shrimp tacos. Do it. Um, but Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Great guy. Loves pizza, loves beer, all the good things in life. But the important thing about Eddie Bader, at least as far as you're concerned, folks, is he's a fantastic real estate agent. He knows how to buy and sell homes. And he, in fact, because he does both, knows how to make the two meet if they're some of his fellow clients. Doesn't always work out, but because he's contacted with buyers and sellers, he can really connect people well to get a deal done. And if you're thinking about buying a home for the first time and you're a little hesitant, Eddie can show you the options out there. Oh, I don't make enough money. At least look. He showed me some places on my very modest income. It would work. It made me realize, oh, yeah, I could own a home for too long. Got to get my credit straight. It's not that I have bad credit. It's that I have non-existent credit. But anyway, Eddie Bader is the one who kind of opened my eyes to the opportunities out there. Maybe you're not a first-time home buyer. Eddie knows how to take you and put you in that place because that family's growing. Or if you're looking to sell a place, here's the renovation you need to do. Here's the repair you need to do before we ever put it out on the market and do a very good open house. That way you don't have to negotiate over those things. You can get top dollar the way you set up the house. This holds true with, you know, my dad's masterful. My own father's masterful at selling homes. Every home that we've owned and sold, he's gotten off the market quick. And it's because he did the things Eddie Bader suggests. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home, folks... Give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. His number, 322-0662. Getting that number for Eddie Bader, 322-0662. Man, I'm just enjoying the piano music. It's fun talking about, like, manipulating people's minds and language to the soothing tones of Prince noodling at his piano. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. think is not necessarily, folks, cognitive dissonance. We mentioned that earlier. I'm full of cognitive dissonance. I think most people are. Cognitive dissonance is a phenomenon that occurs on a daily basis and could be 
from a factor of a variety of things. It's just a way to explain how your mind tries to grapple with itself. Well, and let's give an example. Like, you're a true-believing Baptist, born-again Christian, and you meet a friendly person who is, you become friends with and you realize they're a Muslim, and you don't necessarily have built-in hatred towards Muslims, but you start talking to them about y'all's opposing faiths, and you're, you're like, huh? How's that work? What? It's that's a good way cognitive dissonance will pop up. You're presented with an idea that's so different than your own, and you actually consume the idea and try to understand it. That it will create dissonance in your mind. Now you might be able to resolve that. It can be very healthy in the sense if you resolve it, it allows you to become stronger and tackle ideas that you maybe have never encountered before, never wrestled with. And it's always good to uh, wrestle with very difficult, deep ideas. Um, but we mentioned parallels between George Orwell and what he came up with in his novels. 1984 is fantastic. I do, just on a quick note, if you can get a collection of Orwell's essays, there are a few out there, a uh, few books that are collected series of a lot of essays on different topics. His essay writing is probably my favorite. Like, one of my favorite pieces of writing ever is his essay, Shooting an Elephant. And it's literally his own story. It's autobiographical and true. When he was a policeman, I think, in Burma or something like that. And the townspeople, because he was the policeman, the imperial police for Britain, are like, oh, it's loose, it's loose. And they're talking about an elephant. And he realized, and it was destroying huts, destroying markets. Like, and he realized, I'm going to have to kill this thing. And the emotions he goes through, it's just... A beautiful piece of writing, like and it, the fact that it's also a pretty much a true story, you know, with some poetic license, I'm sure, it's incredible. But the whole idea of Orwell was this top-down totalitarian power. He saw the writing on the wall after World War II, in particular, as the war, world wars are going on. Even the victors were kind of engaging in all sorts of propaganda and doublespeak and putting double-think into the population. Here's who you need to hate now. I mean, the Cold War was just getting started, and you could see the writing on the wall in many ways. I mean, in 1984, they never have true clash between the reigning powers in the novel. There's always periphery war, which is pretty much just what we've had uh, in the last century or so. I mean, there hasn't been a direct conflict between, say, Russia and the United States. And that might be actually an irony, a good one, of things like nuclear weapons. They're so devastating that no sane person would ever use them if their goal is to survive and carry out your people and your society. That you'll sort of, you'll play power games with one another, but you'll stop short of, you know, destroying the earth. So, you know, that's good. That's good. But... Yeah, there's, there's really no cognitive dissonance with mutually assured destruction. I, but I wrote, again, this was about two years ago. I just shot my shot two years ago, man, and then I was done with writing for a while. I'm going to get back in the game. I said, much of the world today looks nothing like that of Winston Smith, the hero of 1984. Even the country that most closely resembles Orwell's Oceania, Oceania uh, North Korea, is beginning to crack. And they really are. I don't know if Trump will succeed in his deal-making, but I think the people ruling North Korea kind of understand the jig is almost up. Like, we want the stuff. We want economic prosperity. We, they're starting to crack. And a good example is uh, 
certain black market vendors are now standing up to the police there and there's a lot of stuff happening where people there are starting to get a taste of the outside world not as much as they need but they're starting to get a taste of it you know what's i just as an aside you know what's really interesting is you can uh steam that's a program on the computer windows mm. linux whatever it's uh it's basically a, a game aggregator so if you wanted to download say borderlands 2 or call of duty or something like that you could do that on steam the platform and you can pull up a map of steam usage across the world there's a little blip in Pyongyang where the rest of North Korea is dark. Mm. Somebody has access to steam. Right. In Pyongyang. And the theory is that the the ruling class, the people that are super close to, in this case, uh, the party, you know, at the top of the party, they have access to Western liberties, shall we call them. Right, 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 right. Because they can hide it better than others, let's say. But it's fascinating to see that little blip because it makes you... A little bit of hope. I, well, see, I, I, I find myself concerned for the rest of the darkness in that area. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But North the point is North Korea is beginning to crack a little bit. May it continue. Yes. But so Orwell's nightmare of, quote, a boot stamping on a human face forever... End quote. <laughs> My God. It's, I guess, still possible, but it seems remote. Or you could take a more left-wing or populist right lament, like Howard Beale in that great movie Network, that's individual it's finished due to corporate control of airwaves and mass production and consumerism. As much as the ruling party, whether it's Republicans or Democrats or whatever, wishes to advance their own narratives as the truth above all else, new communication technologies have made this nearly impossible. As much as Trump and his acolytes hail alternative media as their weapon against establishment and fake news, I expect such methods will soon be used against them. I wrote this two years ago. Such methods have been used against them. A lot. And very effectively. As much as the internet culture helped blaze a trail for Trump's historic campaign, his attempts to create a unified narrative for his presidency will most likely be frustrated and undone by that same culture. We'll see if he's real. I think he'll be reelected if the economy holds strong. But I think it's just, I'm going back to that old James Carville, 1990s, it's the economy stupid theory. I don't think it says much about any of the candidates. The economy's strong. Trump doesn't do, you know, doesn't blow anything up. Like literally or figuratively, I think he'll gain re-election. Now, if he had actually been indicted for obstruction of justice, we might be saying something different. But he wasn't. That was that was. I think that was wishful thinking on the left's part. Yes, and they they just casually glossed over the fact that the DOJ has a you can't indict a sitting president. <laughs> right. Well, and there's three opinions actually. Two say you can't. One says you can. And this is where I want to hear from Mueller on the 15th, because Barr, the attorney general, claimed when they sat down, like Barr's team and the Mueller team sat down, and Bob Mueller is sitting there, they con they asked him over and over again, are you choosing not to bring an obstruction indictment or charge because of the office, or the, the legal counsel office rule, you can't indict a sitting president? Mueller's like, no. So it really? might... Yeah. 
So is it, that and, from notes that have been subpoenaed, or is that from Barr's? That's from Barr's testimony to what they said meeting. That's why I want to hear from Mueller. What it might be is that Mueller wasn't citing, he wasn't worried about the actual legal opinion. He was worried more about the symbolic nature of indicting a sitting president. It could have been something like that. <laughs> and he was also like, okay, this is what I got. I'm kicking it to Congress. I'm out. Right. I made more money than this thing cost. I've done my job. I think I've done it fairly well. It's up to you, chuckleheads. But here's the good news, folks. All the warnings from past and present that power would destroy and control the truth from a central nexus through things like doublethink and doublespeak and corporate control and blah, 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 blah. They're all true things. But the fact that they would control everything from a central nexus have not yet come to pass. Now, again, what we see today are many competing narratives. And though this suggests the world is on the verge of changing for the better, is no doubt all very confusing and perplexing in the short term. With so many voices claiming to offer the real story or the truth or universal values in competition with one another, disenchantment was bound to become our universal language for a time being. <laughs> in this new tumultuous age of political narrative wars and fake news, it would be best to remember what scared Big Brother in 1984 the most, language independent of power's demands. Indeed, the most important things in life are the stories we weave for ourselves, and unlike ever before in human history, we have the tools to do so free from power's jealous demands. Now we must simply take a different path. If we are to survive this new digital age of mad prophets, and we don't do it by merely calling out hypocrisy or doublethink in the lies of our age. Be wary of the mind-forged manacles of simply being for or against a given authority. Eschew any power that wishes to make the truth subservient to its interest. Instead, craft narratives independent from the banal desire for political power control in war. And it's interesting, folks. The one phrase, according to Orwell in 1984, that could not be translated into newspeak. Quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creators with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's interesting that Orwell chose those words as the words that could not be translated. If you remember the power of the individual mind, which isn't an island, but understands and actually tries to recover history and continue the torch on, I think there's always hope that the boot stamping on the face forever will not come to pass and that yes the people are full of hypocrisy and double think as long as there are people carrying on in their own lives carrying the torch independently that they'll be an example to folks to wake up out of their hypnosis so thank you for listening thank you for the idea tonight troy welcome in and i'll be back tomorrow